Once again, please, let's turn to the Lord and ask his help in preaching the word and in hearing it. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, we now ask that you would come and be with us. Touch our hearts, open our ears. Allow the words that I speak to truly reflect your word. And may Christ be revealed. And may your glory be lifted up and may people see who you really are. Dispel the darkness today, Lord. Allow us to see your glory. Draw near to us. Be with all those who preach today. And let sinners be saved and let your people receive the exhortations, the commendations, the rebukings, the great things that you have prepared for us. We pray, Lord, minister now to us as we attempt to minister to you in worship. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I would like to repeat the words that our fellow uh, pastor said in the announcements, and that is, it's a good thing to see people present in the assembly. I did have the blessing of, of talking with uh, two individuals that don't live in this state. They do listen to uh, the transmissions that we have, uh, the, the broadcastings and so on, and so I bless the Lord for that. Amen. I'm glad that we're able to send out these messages. And I say that uh, mass media, the blessings of being able to uh, do this is, is something that's really a good thing. But the devil has also done these great works with mass media, does he not? No matter how great and innovative the inventions of men, men have used these great inventions for great evil. And yet God is allowing us to do this for good. There is um, no good or bad thing in and of themselves unless a man picks it up and either does good or evil with it. So may God help us to do good. The doctrines that we've been looking at all revolve around the first advent and the second advent these two weeks. And then next week we'll be, Lord willing, picking back up in the uh, book of the Apocalypse. And I thought it fitting that this time of year, I thought the timing was excellent, the, the providence involved where we're looking at the first advent, which was uh, the idea of Christ coming and becoming flesh. And we looked at that last week. And today we're looking at the second advent and how they relate to each other. And we saw in the apocalypse that the events of these visions all took place between the first advent, when Christ became a child, he took on flesh, died for our sins, rose again, accomplished our atoning work for us, and then the second coming. All these things come between the first and second advent. And there is a concept that I want to repeat again, that there is a way of looking at how Christ fulfilled all the prophecies, how he came and accomplished and fulfilled all the ceremonies of the law, and how he fulfilled all the longings that were placed in the Old Testament. And all these things were done, and they are already done. They're done. There is a king on the throne. We have Christ as our king, and there is a kingdom in this world. And yet, in another sense, they are yet to be and a more fuller, more, shall we say, more grand way. One day, there'll be a kingdom where every physical knee of everyone will kneel. 
right now in the kingdom of God, our knees are bent to the Lord. Mm. Our hearts are bent to the Lord. Mm. We look to him in prayer. He is our king and we are citizens of his kingdom. And this is a good thing. We know that the kingdom is here. However, on the day he comes again, when he comes again, the kingdom will be complete and every knee will bow. Every eye will see. We see with the eye of faith, but on that day, every eye sees. And so we see that these prophecies have already been fulfilled and they are yet to be completed. Yet to be completed. And so the goal that we have today is to make sure that Jesus Christ receives the full glory that he deserves. And that is in what he has done in saving sinners. Now, what Christ has accomplished in saving us really reveals a great deal of glory to God. And we discussed how the glory of God is really the real goal of what's happening here. But God has chosen in kindness and in mercy to reveal his glory by saving undeserving sinners. And that is where we're at. So right now as we begin to explore how all these things have been accomplished, and yet they're going to be accomplished in a more fuller way, for example, when his kingdom comes, and you remember how the Lord taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a way of saying, even so, come Lord Jesus, come now quickly. And yet we have the kingdom of God within us. At that time when he comes again, the kingdom will be irreversibly eternal. Not as though it can be reversed now. It cannot. Everything is, is as is, is as permanent as it can possibly be. But the eye of flesh cannot see that. One day, every eye, no matter whether they will be spending their eternity separated from God, or whether they'll be in the presence of God, they will say, who can do this but the hand of God, and it cannot be undone. Only God can do this. This is the work of the mighty God that cannot be undone. One day, that will happen, and one day that's coming, where no one can deny the mighty work of God. And we can see that all these promises that were one time promised have not only been fulfilled, but they will now be openly and persistently revealed for all of time. And so we saw that the uh, idea of there our, our first and second advent had two parts to it. The first part was where Christ came, he took on flesh. And this was not a small doctrine. And this is not just an academic doctrine. Mm. Sometimes we talk about the incarnation as though, I just want you to get the right idea. Mm. I want you to get the right concept. Mm. But what we really need to understand is that this was an event that happened. Yes. God became man. Mm -hmm. He took upon our flesh. And a lot of times we will read in the scriptures where you know, on the, on the time when, when the Lord was hanging on the cross and when he died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Well, we have to envision this a little bit where the Lord actually took upon himself our flesh and, our, and his flesh was torn so that the Holy of Holies, which is the heart of God, could be seen by man. And we could go into the presence of God unhindered but no one can see it except the Holy Ghost opened the eyes of those. Those who tore that flesh from top to bottom and ripped our, our Lord and, and, and tore his blood from him that enabled the very presence of God to be in the presence of his people. 
we saw with our hearts, the very heart of God, the holy of holies. And this is not a small task. This is the defining battle against evil. I'd like to just make this example. Um, I heard a preacher say one time that there is, you know, our, our victory is completely done, just like on D-Day in World War II. D-Day was a defining battle that said, we're winning this. All we have to do now is get to Berlin. The, the war is won, but the war was still being fought. Later on, on V-Day, Victory Day, then everything was signed and everyone was submitted and all the treaties were, were handed out and all the boundaries were, were set. But you see, there's a time in between the, the initial winning blow, the initial winning battle, and then the last day that victory was declared. We live in that time. We live between the first advent and the second advent. The very D-Day that we're looking at was the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection and the completing of the gospel. And that is our weapon. That is our warfare, preaching the gospel. That is how we go to our Berlin. That's how we go to the very last day when Christ declares everything. He has become the king of all the world. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ. And that's when it's officially declared. So that's where we left off, this two-part message. The way that uh, we were going last time is, was taken out of Isaiah chapter 9, so I would like to go back there and read these verses to you again. I would like to just read verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And at that point we stopped, because that is where we say, this is where Christ became flesh, and then the, the prophet makes this distinction. A son, I mean, a child is born that he took on our flesh, that we might become the sons of God rather than the sons of Adam. But a son was given. God's son was given, that we might be adopted and become the sons of God ourselves. And so we can see that this first advent centers around the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and how that these things will bring us to God. However, the second advent centers around some things that have also already been done, but will be completed in a greater degree when he comes again. To continue reading that verse, we see, well, let me start again. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of the peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, as we can see, I already know that Christ is king already now. And you should know that now. You should know that too. And that the government is already on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And that his name is already for us a wonderful counselor. Mm -hmm. And that he has these titles now. However, there will be a time in the future when these will be displayed in a miraculous way. In a way in which we cannot deny. Not anyone can ever deny it. I want to advance the idea that you need to understand that he is 
the governor of this world. He is the sovereign Lord. He is Lord over all things. And the kingdom that he started is growing, and it's here, and it's present, and it's very real. I have um, before you, let me, let me hold it up to you. I have some pages here. As you can see, uh, I didn't print them all out, but I have many of them right here. There are over a hundred verses that I've taken from the New Testament. I'm not going to read them all to you. But all these reference individually the kingdom of God in the New Testament, only in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Over a hundred references. And they all refer to the kingdom of God being right now. They do many times refer to the future. But let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 4, we read this. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now let me tell you what at hand, at hand means. It's within your grasp. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. In Matthew chapter 4, again, later, on, later in that chapter. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is something that some people would say, well, he tried, and they rejected, and it failed. That is not true. He brought the kingdom. Our God does not try and fail. He does not. He brings in the kingdom exactly the way he wants to bring it in. In Matthew 6, we read this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All the things that you pray for. The food you need to eat. The clothes you need to wear. Everything that this white life requires. But first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Matthew 12, we read this. In a debate between him and the Pharisees. And if Satan cast out Satan, well, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not just in the future, but has come upon us. You see, what begins now, at that time, is here right now. And it will one day be a glorious revelation of how it will never be changed in the eyes of all. Let me read another one. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. That's not in the future, folks. That's right now. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It grows. The birds of the air lodge in it. It's huge. Let me read another from Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Every man that presses into the kingdom of God, every man that sees the value of Jesus Christ and runs from his sin to be saved from his sin and obtains Christ by the grace of God, has found the kingdom of God. He becomes a citizen of that kingdom. He goes from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And his kingdom is advancing. It cannot be stopped. 
The gates of hell will never prevail against it. His kingdom is here and it is now. In Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish from every kind, all kinds, rich, poor, powerful, weak, intelligent, simple, every kind, every nation, every race of all kinds, but especially among the weak, especially among those who have no power within them. That's where they find their power in Christ. They become members of that kingdom. Well, I have, I have so many, but I'm not going to read them all. Let me see which ones I want to at least give you some. Here's, a, here's one I want you to know. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can be, in ways that it can be observed. Nor will they say, Oh, look, here it is, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Well, who was in the midst of them? The Lord himself, the king, the king himself. All these things. Many, many passages that prove that. But now we can see that this has already happened. But it's not yet what it's going to be. Not yet what it's going to be. What a day that will be when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. It will be a tremendous blessing. Let's very briefly now turn to our text in Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll take a look at those two verses in detail. And I just want to remind you that last week we looked at how chapter 8 said that this land was dark and filled with gloom and, build, and filled with that. And that really reflects the world, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It does. This world is in a thick darkness. It's in a very dark place. And when our Lord comes to this world right now, and what I'm saying is that he comes with the gospel. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the word of God goes forth. Now, at the beginning, the word of God became flesh. And he completed the gospel. And now the word of God is the seed sown into the hearts of men. And the seed is cast out. That is what the kingdom of God is like. And when men believe, then that seed grows in the cursed ground. And it begins to grow fruit of the Holy Spirit. Whereas before, it only produced thorns. So we see the kingdom of God growing in a dark place where light comes. In a dead place where life comes. And this is what happened in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. In that place that where Midian would come up from the south and just ravish the land. But by the sword of the Lord and Gideon, they dispelled all that with only 300 warriors pushing out 30, 135,000. That is what is like in this congregation. We have a very small group of people against the entire world. And should we say, oh, we can't win? No. When these vessels of clay are broken and the torch inside, the light inside is revealed, we shout the word of God, the sword of the Lord. And you know what that is? The word of God. We shout the gospel to the world and they flee before the hand of God. There is victory in the hand of our Lord. It is not us. It is Christ who has died for his people. It is Christ who comes and takes what is his. He is the conquering hero. The kingdom of this dark world becomes the kingdom of our God. 
the kingdom of Christ himself. He comes, he breaks the yoke of the burden. Men suffer under sin. They labor under the burden of sin. And Satan and the world and the flesh is no good taskmaster. They're harsh. They oppress us. They oppress the sinner. They live at war with God and with each other from day to day. But God brings peace. God has provided a child and a son. And he's been given a name. Well, he's been given several names. And so let's begin to go over that with what the scripture says. As we can see, in the ESV, it says a wonderful counselor. But in the King James Version, you'll find that the word wonderful is followed by a comma, where it says wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Now, this word wonderful is a good word to describe counselor. It is also a good word to describe the everlasting Father, also a very good word to describe the Prince of Peace. But it is a word that means miraculous. It is miraculous. Our God is a miraculous God. He is a God filled with wonder, filled with miracles. And we may say, well, I would like to see these miracles. All you got to do is look around and see every man that turns from darkness. You've seen the greatest miracle you'll ever see. You cannot have a miracle greater than that which was dead become alive. People that have a great darkness and thickness over them come to life and follow Christ. It is a miraculous thing. And he becomes a miracle to us. Not as though he was never before, but I'm saying that we are able to see with the eye of faith the miraculous things that our God has done. And he is the counselor. Where in this world can we seek the counsel that will save our souls? Can you go to a psychiatrist? Can you go to the state? Can you go to the schools? Can you go to the government? Where can you go to receive the counsel that will save your soul? The scriptures say, come and buy wisdom. That's what it says in the Proverbs. Buy wisdom without money. And who is going to give you and sell you this wisdom for free? Only Christ can do this. He is the great counselor of the one whose hearts are troubled. And, 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 and they're under the weight and burden and oppression of the world. They know about the sin and the darkness that they live in. It's oppressed them. And their peace is robbed. And the counselor comes and says, look to the cross of Christ. Look to what he has done. One day he's coming back, but the sword of the Lord is the cross of Christ. It is the weapon that comes and it will save your soul. He is the mighty God. This is a, a task that only a mighty God can achieve. Now the Lord is mighty. He is God. The Lord Jesus Christ not only claimed to be God, he is God. And there are those today that say, well, he never really claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm the son of man. Oh, my goodness. The silliness that people have. The ability that they have to see darkness in the light. The greatness that they have in their souls to suppress the truth. God has read his word. Today has the scripture been fulfilled in your ears. He says, I am that mighty God. Mm -hmm. I am the one. 
who has come to do this. Now, he is the everlasting Father. Now, it doesn't just mean that he is the everlasting God. Because he is. He is the everlasting God. No doubt about that. But how many of us would treasure and understand that there is a place of comfort in the arms of a loving Father? And this is not the Father that you know. Because I don't know about you, but if I think about, well, if the Lord is anything, if the Lord's a father the way my father was a father to me, I can do without that. But he is a father that every one of us should have had. And he is not just a father. He is an everlasting father. He will never stop loving you as a son. Never. He is the everlasting father. And that's the emphasis. A father's love bestowed upon children that never ends. He is the prince of peace. Men will war against their own souls forever. Wars will always be fought in this world, and they always come from the hearts of men. Whether it be a squabble in the nursery, or whether there be a squabble in the schoolyard, or whether there be a squabble down at the bar, or whether there be an insurrection at the government, or whether there'll be wars between countries. These things do not just spring up out of nowhere. They come from the hearts of men. And there is only one who can take the war out of a man's heart, and that is Christ. The greatest war he'll ever fight is between himself and his maker and his God. And God has made peace through Christ. Christ has brought us into the presence of God. He is the Prince of Peace. That's his title. That's his name. We own it. But one day when he comes back, there will never be another war, never be another thought of anger, of hatred, of rebellion, forever and ever and ever. Do you see we embrace it now? We embrace it now, but there'll come a time. We already have it, but it's not what it's going to be. It's not what it's going to be. The kingdom of God, what is it and what it is not? Well, I'll tell you what. It is not something that's local. It's not just in the U.S. and not just in Titusville. It's not in just one place. There is no boundaries for this kingdom. If you want to know what a kingdom is, a kingdom is some place that, that, that has boundaries. You get visas, you get passports, you have sometimes a border wall, sometimes you have whatever it takes to go from one place to another. You have to negotiate between countries to have people traverse the boundaries of one country to another country. And when those boundaries come in conflict, you get war. You get war between countries. But the kingdom of God has no boundaries even right now. It is not geographical. And another thing, these countries and these kingdoms, they're bound by time. There's not one country that was ever started, not one kingdom that started, that, has not, that hasn't ended. Every one of them has. From Nebuchadnezzar, from Nimrod, to, to, to the Caesars, to, to all the dictators of the world. They began and they have ended. But there is one that has started that has never ended yet. And you know what? It never will end. It never will end. They may say, oh, well, when is he going to start? He has already started. 
It started at the cross when he rose from the dead and ascended on high and sat on his throne. And he has members or citizens of his kingdom. And it spreads throughout all the world. It's like a mustard seed growing larger and larger. That is what the kingdom of God is. It is universal. It crosses every social, radical, uh, racial, economic, and human boundary there is. There is no boundary that way. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be avoided. And it cannot be uncertain. It is always going to be inevitable. Kingdom of God is coming. It is powerful. How do I say it is powerful? It is accomplished by the zeal of the Lord. By the zeal of the Lord. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Now you may say, well, what does that mean? He's just really, really, you know, zealous. Is that what it means? Well, when you think about the attributes of our God, He's everywhere. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. All these things are wonderful concepts and ideas that we should really embrace. But there's something you need to know about God. He's very zealous about some things. His heart is, is on fire for holiness and justice and righteousness. But the zeal of the Lord is to save his people. His zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish his kingdom and he's coming after his own and he's going to save them. He's going to save us. Amen. Though we may look small and weak, nothing will ever stop the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because it's not our strength that does it. It is the God himself and it is his zeal that accomplishes it. The same kind of zeal that you would have where a father wants to have for his daughter or for his son or a mother would have for her children or that a spouse would have for a spouse. That type of zeal that God has that is far beyond what we can even give. It is a deep love, a deep commitment, a deep passion. Something that cannot be overcome. Something that cannot be overcome. The one practical application I have is this. That we live in a very dark world, do we not? Yes, we do. But there is a very bright light in this world. Mm -hmm. And he can be seen. Mm -hmm. He is being seen. There's a lot of darkness and gloom in this world. Men are the fountainheads of this darkness. The devil was a liar from the very beginning. And he brought, that in, brought this into the world. But if you want to know where darkness comes from now in this world... It comes from the hearts of men. This is not a darkness that just seems to be a lack of light. Men have this way of producing darkness. It, it wants to overcome the light. It wants to not comprehend the light. It wants to misunderstand the light. It wants to deal and have war with the light. And it comes from the hearts of men. There is a battle going on. But this battle cannot be lost by Christ. Christ is winning. Christ is going to save his people. Now I want to give, I, I, I selected the text that I read from Luke chapter 4 because I wanted to emphasize the fact that our Lord wants us to understand, when I say our Lord wants us to understand, that all the things that need to be done are being done and have been done and will be done by Jesus Christ. He is the one that's able to take the scroll from the hand of him who sits on the throne. He breaks the seals. He is authenticated and authorized. Authorized means he has been given the right to do it. And authenticated means 
He has proven that he is who he is to do it. How did he authenticate himself? He died for sins and rose from the dead and sits on his right hand. That's authentication. The authorization to do what? To save his people. And it's going to be there. And if you can envision this, if you can see it, Christ comes in, he, he, he grows up, he is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and he is tempted of the devil 40 days, and he begins his ministry. And he preaches in his hometown. In his hometown, where the people say, I, we, we know this guy. And yet he stands up and he says this, give me the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight and to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, just like in Isaiah chapter 9. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled it up. And he sat down and everyone was saying, well, what, what is he saying? Well, why, is he, why is he speaking to us like this? And then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your earring. And you know what they did? They tried to throw him off a cliff. I'm telling you right now that the Lord, he has fulfilled and has accomplished all that needs to be done. And he's doing it every day, even in our lives right now. Right now and will be tomorrow. And one day he's coming back. Mm -hmm. And what the eye cannot see, mm -hmm. the eye will see. Mm -hmm. Every knee, not just ours, mm -hmm. every knee is going to bow. Mm -hmm. I would say this, oh, come Lord Jesus, mm -hmm. even so come, mm -hmm. come now. Amen. As the longing heart said, oh, come, come thou long expected Jesus, mm -hmm. oh, come to set us free. They prayed that he might come. He wasn't the king they expected. All he did was save their souls. Do you see the blindness of men? But now we live in this kingdom. And one day that kingdom's coming. That kingdom is coming. And praise God that we are able to live a life. That we can say, we have opportunity to resist sin. Let's take advantage of that. We have opportunity to glorify God in a dark place. This is our only opportunity to do so. Because when he comes back, all sin would be gone. Let us now take this opportunity and do all that we can to please and to serve our God. He is our King. He is our Savior. At this time, we'll pray and then we'll have our, have our Lord's Supper. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we want to thank you that you so willingly sent your Son and Lord Jesus that you came and took upon yourself our own flesh for the sole purpose of dying for our sins. We bless your name that you rose from the dead authenticating all that you have been authorized to do, that you are now governing and ruling your kingdom. All the things that need to be done are being done by your hand. You are even using sin in all places to bring glory to your name. The heart of the King is in your hand and our lives are in your hand and we bless your name for it. So Father, we pray that this day might bring glory to you. May the gospel be made clear to every person. May sinners be saved and bring great glory to your name. 
We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.